Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Miles, how you doing? I'm doing well, Scott. How are you? I am great. My name is Scott Herzog. And I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we have a special guest doing the show with us tonight. And with us is Mary, the Televixen, the DVD Geeks Televixen. Hi, everyone. Yes, we, we, we had her on, we interviewed her, and, you know, we just couldn't get rid of her. Aw, well, right thanks here. for having me back. <laughs> well, we, we love having you on the show, Mary. Oh, I love being here. No, it's so great. It's good, really good, good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. But uh, we had Dayton Ward on last night. We're going to have him on with you in a couple weeks again. Two weeks, I guess. That's coming up yeah, fast. Yeah, that, that's going to be fun. That will be. And we got even, uh, uh, who's the other guy? Who's his partner in crime? Oh, Kevin Dilmore. Oh, yeah, yeah. So five mm-hmm. people on the show. That's going to be a record for us. <laughs> it's going to be a party. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get a word in edgewise. That's all I'm saying. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> not, I'll, I'll start. not if you get passionate Trekkies on the line. <laughs> uh, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be, hello, this is a sci-fi diner, and okay, that's it. And, and that's go. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man! All right on the uh, on the menu tonight. Since we are a Sci-Fi Diner, we have an interview with Richard Hatch from Battlestar Galactica. Some of you may know him. The, Mary the Televixen, as you know, has joined us to talk about the Robert Beltrain interview that uh, I guess is a few months old here. And we're going to talk about what's up with Hulu Fox's Bonehead Dollhouse move. No opinion there. It's fri- is Friday really the dead zone? Harlan Ellison wins his suit with Star Trek. Nathan Fillion reprises his Captain Mal Firefly role. Paranormal activity, news with that, a great news actually with that. And lastly, we get some thoughts on Legend of Seeker DVDs and oh, we added heroes in there we want to talk about. So that's kind of what's on the menu tonight. So we're going to serve up some good stuff. Definitely. All right. Let's do it. it. Yeah. A little bit of show news before we leap into our news tonight and all the other stuff that we do in the show. One news item is that if you are listening to the show and you have and you listen and you are into some other sci-fi or some other fantasy that we aren't talking about and you say, well, why don't these guys ever talk about what I'm interested in? Well, we don't talk about it because we don't know you're interested in it. Let us know. We do want to hear from you and we would love to talk about the shows you're interested in. And even though we may not know a whole lot about them, We'll at least give you our two cents about what we think of them and how they're doing and and so on. Uh, In our second piece of show news, uh, recently, I guess in last week's episode of Geek Squared podcast, they they were talking about the the, the fact that dictionaries do not really do justice to the word geek. Geek, as I guess, is given a bad name. And that's a shame. I come from a show called DVD Geek. I know. That's where we embrace all things geek. So it's kind of a shame that uh, it's a negative, but I think it's come full circle and it's an empowering word now. You know, that's kind of the way I feel about it. When I when I talk about it, it's not a negative thing, but it used to be. And I think dictionaries maybe just start, takes a little bit longer for them to be uh, to, to catch up, I guess. But here are, the, here are the three definitions that dictionary.com had. Okay. Uh, number one was a peculiar, if I can say the word, or otherwise dislikable person, especially one who's perceived to be overly intellectual. 
Mm. Nothing too positive with that one. No. <laughs> uh, a computer expert or enthusiast, a term of pride as self-reference, but often considered offensive when used by outsiders. Hmm. So uh, That's pretty narrow. Yeah, it is narrow. And then uh, three, a carnival performer who, perfor- who performs sensationally morbid or disgusting acts as if biting off the head of a live chicken. I actually have friends who do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they refer to themselves as geeks, and, and they have geek acts, and uh, they're, you know, freak shows. Well, they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, uh, they belong in Heroes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but but you see that none of this really comprises what when we, we talk about geeks, none of this really is covered in that. No, no. I mean, I would say my definition of a geek is someone who is extremely passionate about something to the point of obsession in a, in a positive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that they, they really are into something. I would agree. I mean, uh, Mary, you, you listen to TrickCast. I, I don't know if you ever heard the guys talk about I mean uh, – Football fan, fans, they may not admit to this, but they're geeks. I mean, they come Absolutely. to the game. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them will wear makeup on themselves or their, of their team. They'll, you know, paint the letters on their chests. I mean, that's... It's that, no that's different geek. than uh, putting on Spock ears. Absolutely like not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. You know, and uh, we even use the word sometimes, like, we geek out in something. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's actually a verb nowadays. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so uh, spread the word. We need to change the definition of geek. That's it. Write write dictionary dot dictionary dot com. Uh, you know, hit them on Twitter Charm. if they have a Twitter ID or something. But we need to change that. Definitely. <laughs> okay, and our last bit of show news is we do have a Facebook fan page. Links for that will be in the show notes. I didn't memorize the insanely long URL till we hit seventy five people. But if you want to check it out, we have videos, pictures, and a bunch of other useless information that you can find there. Okay, Miles, let's head into our trivia for this week. All right. Last week, we asked, what does Stargate Universe, Lombamba, Young Guns 1 and 2 have in common? And the answer is Lou Diamond Phillips. He was an a- He's an actor in all, all of these. Our winner this week was uh, Wendy. Awesome. And, of course, she won Smallville Season 6, which we were giving away in the last uh, in this last contest. And for our trivia question this week, Miles... Okay, we're doing something a little different. Submit an iTunes review and copy it to us along with your name and address. All the entries get a chance to win either a Blu-ray or DVD copy of Battlestar Galactica The Plan. Need to be into us by Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, November 4th. Again, need your address if you want us to send you the prize. Uh, That's a good prize. Yes, Yes, an excellent prize. Yeah, definitely. You know, I I don't know about you, Miles, but I put... The plan on Netflix, and I'm on a long wait. Oh, really? Yeah, I am. I already saw it. I I know. And (laughs) And we reviewed it on our show yesterday. (laughs) Curses, Mary. It was was fantastic, but I will say this. If you're not a Battlestar Galactica fan to begin with, it's not something you're going to appreciate. You have to be. It's for the rabid hardcore fans. Right. Definitely. Well, they said it's no razor, I guess, is what the reviews have been saying. Yeah. It's not a standalone piece by any means. Right. It's, It's more... Like, uh, you know, a good love letter to the show. Yeah. Well, if again, if you uh, leave a review in iTunes and copy us on it, you get a chance to put in, put in for a drawing for this DVD, Blu-ray or DVD. If you send us this, you can send it to us at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com. Or I guess you could Twitter it to us, but it would be a, probably a couple Twitters long, hopefully. Nothing real short because of the, <laughs> the character limit. 
Anyways, we're going to move into our news here. Before we do that, we're going to play a quick promo from our friends at Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV. If you want to know what's showing on TV and all the nitty-gritty of what's coming up, the stats and everything more than you would ever want to know, you really should check out their show at, at the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast. So Ghost infected Frank. He passed it on to the other guys, and I got it from his corpse. Right. Hello, Echo. How are you feeling? Did I fall asleep? For a little while. Previously on Heroes. You had to go and be the detective, didn't you, Matt? I'm not an aggressive person, but... Ugh, man, there's just way too much on all these channels. But only in-game. Everybody lives, Rose. Just this once. In your dreams, Matloaf. Bite my shiny metal hat. Sometimes I get, I get visions. Walter, what are you doing? Watch and learn. I wish there was some way to find out what's really worth watching. There is. What? Who? What was that? Tuning into Sci-Fi TV is the viewer's guide to genre television. Where is that coming from? With its spoiler-free quick reviews and water cooler and the spoiler-filled in-depth back porch discussions, Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV is the only resource fans need to know what's on, what's good, and what's coming soon in science fiction and fantasy television. How did you get into my house? Join Kevin, Wendy, and Brent each week for the latest in genre television. I'm calling the police. Uh, you can find Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. No, seriously. How did you get into my house? All right, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. In this section of our news, we typically do the 10, 10 at 10, 10 minutes of TV, 10 minutes of movies, and 10 minutes of DVDs. But this week, I think we're going to be heavy on the TV news. So if we don't stick quite to that, uh, you know, give us a break here, all right? Uh, our first course that we are serving up tonight is going to be Sci-Fi TV, and Miles is going to start us off with a little bit about Robert Beltran. Star Trek Voyager fans, uh... Robert Beltran, no stranger to anybody, played uh, Commander Chakotay for seven seasons on Star Trek Voyager. What may surprise uh, some of you is um, doesn't really care so much for Star Trek. I, I found this interview. Um, I went to the forums on uh, TrekCast. It may have been done humorously. Um, he, he, he's uh, said, you know, his, his, his sense of humor is sometimes a little out there. So um, at the time, maybe I, I, he, he might, I, I thought he was being serious uh, about how much he hated Star Trek. I don't know. It's just uh, when I saw it, it was, yeah, they didn't do a lot with your character. They could have did a little more at times. But, you know, you, you got seven years of work. Uh, you're part of a a, a, a franchise that's um, legendary, something you'll always be immortalized in, a, you know, a huge fan base. So it just, I don't know. I, I thought even if it was done, you know, with humor, it just seemed, I don't know, a little, little, little disrespectful to uh, – to start the fans. I mean, I don't think that he's actually being that funny because I've I've read interviews throughout the years with him that he doesn't want to talk about Star Trek, that he's been very cynical about it. I've heard him say things. Um, I think on Trek Nation they had a, um, an article where um, he said that Star Trek kind of has the appearance of being very complex when it's all really just smoke and mirrors and uh, that the writing is not really good. But, you know, my theory is this. If you're a guy who comes to a show with a chip on his shoulders, are the writers really going to want to write material for somebody who doesn't want to put the effort in? I mean, certainly, I liked his character on Voyager. I felt like they could have gone further with it. But, you know, certainly having a bad attitude doesn't make anybody want to write good storylines for you. 
that that's true. Yeah. And and if, if if he felt you know they were underutilizing him, I mean, you could just always go to the producers and and, and ask. I mean, um, or or at the very le- least, I mean, leave. I guess if 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 it's not working out for you, but um, I mean, he's made some uh, convention appearances, but very few. He was supposed to be at Star Trek Las Vegas this uh, August, and uh, he canceled at the last minute. Um, maybe like a day or two before it started. Uh, we were given some reason about it. I guess it was a health reason or a family member, but who knows? You know, he he could have honestly thought, I don't really want to talk in front of 10,000 people about Star Trek, you know, and bailed. Who knows? Yeah. But I was told ahead of time that I would not be allowed to interview him and he wouldn't want to be filmed. Uh-huh. So that's what I know about it from the creation front. Well, you know, I saw this interview, too, and uh, I actually may stick this interview, uh, at least a segment of it, in so you can hear it, but it'll also be in our show notes. When I watched this interview, I kind of said, well, this has to be a joke. The way the the, 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 the the person interviewing him, it was just all kind of lighthearted. But hearing what you're saying says, well, maybe there was more truth to the joking that was going on behind this interview than what I first appeared. In fact, I think the skit may have been done for Mad TV. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. They make reference to it somewhere in this skit, and I kind of uh, assumed that maybe that's what it was for. But Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I haven't seen the, the latest uh, skit or whatever it is, but, you know, knowing his past reputation, I'm sure somebody was well aware of his thoughts on Star Trek and wanted to play it up to the utmost extreme. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's move into the... Uh... Hulu News. We, of course, found out, I guess it was earlier this week or last week, that Hulu is going to start charging, at least for some of its content, as early as next year, according to the Broadcasting and Cable. At an event held by the publication, Carrie said that the paywall would be limited to special or advanced programming, but that Hulu in general needs to evolve to have a meaningful subscription model as a part of its business. Now, I don't know about you guys, but mm-hmm. uh, when, when I go to Hulu, I'm, you know, I, I do DVR a lot. If in case I'm somewhere out and about and I have time to catch a show somewhere, you know, I turn to Hulu for it so I don't have to uh, have actually sit down at my TV and watch it. And it's just a great way to kind of catch up on some of this stuff. And, and as we all know, the DVR is a machine that often fails, uh, as what oh, happened yes. to me with uh, Heroes last night. So I ended up having to watch it on Hulu today. And, and that was ultra convenient. But I, I think what they're doing here is they're looking at the iTunes model and saying, hey, this works for them, it can work for us. People will pay a dollar for a song, so why wouldn't they pay a dollar per episode? I don't don't necessarily think, I mean, I don't like the idea, but I don't necessarily see it as a bad idea from their end as a business model. I mean, why should they give it away for free? You can kind of skip over the ads. My my computer blocks the ads, so I don't have to watch them. I don't know. I think they're probably just not getting enough ad revenue to make a go of it. Yeah, if if they do charge, I mean, I don't begrudge them for. I mean, they need to stay in business and make a profit. But what I liked about Hulu was with my schedule and going to school and stuff. Uh, I can't see my. I usually don't see my shows when they're on, and I'm and I uh, don't have access to a DVR at the moment. So Hulu has been great as far as helping me keep up with my shows and for free. That that was the appeal of it is is to see you know see your mission. So. Yeah, I probably won't watch Hulu if, if they start charging. I'll find some other place. But I wonder what they'll do with, like, NBC.com and ABC.com. I mean, you can watch shows like Flash Forward and, and Heroes on those. Will they charge, too? I mean, I don't, I'm not sure how that'll work. Well, aren't, aren't, they, aren't those shows already being paid for by the commercials that are being shown in the regular network television? Yeah. So, I mean, it would be kind of double charging if they kind of give you a charge for it. It sounded like my understanding in reading the article that they are suggesting that 
they'd be charging for cable shows. So, for example, like uh, like Sanctuary or Stargate, which are Project cable shows, that they would uh, that they would charge for those shows at least. Mm-hmm. But I, I tell you what, if they do start charging, I I won't. I'll make sure that my DVR is set. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> and and if I miss it, if I miss an episode, so be it. If I really need to, you know. There, there are plenty of other places to find it. And people Definitely. just, people will just start torning shows again or whatever they do to get to get them. You know. Oh yeah, people will find a way. Same thing with the music downloads. I don't think it's going to work out for Hulu. I, mm-hmm. I think, uh, I, I think it's got backfire on them. Yeah. yeah, it's already gotten so much bad press. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's, who knows if they'll even go uh, go through right. with it? But you know, then again, you know, the Sci-Fi Channel when they changed the name got tons of. Uh, people kind of coming down on them for changing their oh, name, yeah. and they went they went through with it, and they're still you know it hasn't affected them really. No. So who knows? It's a little bit different of a situation, but all right. Well, let's talk about Fox and their brilliance. <laughs> Fox pulls Dollhouse from November schedule. Fox can't seem to make up its mind about Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. On the one hand, it renews it despite some of the lowest ratings ever. Then it buries it on Friday night, where its ratings continue to plummet before stabilizing. Then it decides to air all 13 uh, two episodes once it's clear a lot of uh, people are watching on DVR. But now comes where that's pulling from the schedule entirely during the all-important month, all month of uh, November, the so-called sweeps period when the network tries to boost ratings to set its uh, advertising rates. Wow. Uh, Entertainment Weekly's uh, Michael uh, Ostiello tweeted the, the news first. And uh, then Fulton Critic chimed in, uh, network sources have confirmed Friday – Friday entries, Brothers Till Death and Dollhouse will go on hiatus after uh, their October 23rd uh, airing. A rebroadcast of House's uh, two-hour episode premiere will sub in for the night on October 30th with additional repeats of House and Bones taking over for the rest of the month. Uh, Dollhouse will then return with with back-to-back originals starting 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock Central on December 4th, 11th, 18th. Uh, Sounds like Fox has decided to bum off the new episodes it just ordered. Sounds like there's some uh, confusion at the network about what to do with the, with the troubled show. What do you think? Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, that does seem like, a, you know, the slow road to death. You know, I've heard also that they're going to air them in two-hour chunks or yeah, they double but, them up. Yeah, they are. They're, I think uh, I think those three dates, Miles Red in December, my understanding is they're going to be you know airing two episodes, each of, each of those dates. So it'll be back-to-back episodes of Dollhouse. Which I won't mind that, but it seems like they're trying to get rid of it quick. <laughs> yeah, so why, why cut it from Sweeps Month, though? You know, exactly. That's, you're, it's very strange. If you really and wanted typically, to, typically in the past, from what I remember about Sweeps, is that you would air your most sensational programming, the thing that somebody's going to tune in for that they wouldn't n- normally tune in for. Is really a repeat of Bones and House of the season pr- premieres of those? Is that really something the public is demanding to see again? You know, that is going to get bumped for original programming that hasn't aired yet. That's just bizarre to me. Uh, it, it is. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I, it just seems like it, it just seems, you're right. It does seem like they're trying to kill off the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if history tells us anything, I mean, Sarah Connor Chronicles was on a two month hiatus before it got canceled and uh, came back in February and aired around the time that dollhouse first premiered, for, you know, season one. And, you know, look what happened to it. I don't know. I'm pretty scared for it. Yeah. Well, now, uh, did you watch this last week's episode? Oh, yes. I watched it twice, actually, because I loved it so much. It was phenomenal. Miles, you watched it? Yeah, I did, and I I agree. It was was phenomenal. It was the best episode of the season. 
Oh, by far. Yeah, wow. it was just the, the the writing was strong. The direction from Jonathan Frakes was was really finely crafted. I mean, it was just such a good. You know, it's, the characters were just so well developed in that episode. He needs to write more episodes. That's all. Uh, or direct them. So. Yeah, and actually, the writing team was the same team from Doctor Horrible. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, uh, Jed Wheaton and uh, Marissa. That, this was definitely a Sierra. I forget her. I forget the actress plays Sierra. I mean, it's definitely her episode, but uh, oh, I yeah, thought there's... Chen Lockman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and she did a phenomenal job, by the way. I, I thought there were some really good character moments. Uh, I thought we see some interesting character moments with Topher. I mean... Uh... Definitely. I mean, I never liked Topher from the beginning. I always thought that he was pretty annoying, and he was always just in there for comic relief. And it was really nice to see him have some real, genuine moments of conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and you kind of see that in Epitaph One that they never aired. Mm-hmm. You see this, yeah. this. This is the type of Topher that we saw kind of in this in this in this episode this past week. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely grittier and edgier, just like Epitaph One. Yeah. Well, you see, beginning with him, he's got blood on his face, and he's like, "Okay, what's going on here?" So. Oh um, yeah, and Boyd coming in, being like the you know the cleaner, taking care of business with his leather jacket, and saying, "All right, here's the stuff in the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go get it and yeah. take care of business." <laughs> um, it was it was very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was definitely if I were to rate this episode, it, it would definitely be it, it would definitely like a nine out of ten for me. Oh yeah, especially yeah, especially absolutely. especially when you compare it to all the other Dollhouse episodes that have aired, this by far should have probably, in my opinion, been the episode they should have started off the season with. Yeah, it would have hooked more people, I think. Right, you know, because you know we can leave because then, it, then if they aired like one or two episodes after that, they were a bit weaker. You know, we kind of forgive them, we stick with the show because we remember that first you know episode. Right, because we're fans. Yeah, definitely. I I really I cried twice. You know, both Aww. times that I watched it, it really was compelling to me. And I don't know if it's because there wasn't much of Eliza in it. I don't think she has as much range as uh, Daichin, uh Sierra. You know, I think, I think, I don't know. I've never really been a huge fan of Elijah Dushku. I think that she kind of has the tough girl thing down, the bad girl role. And I don't know that she's capable of playing a wide range of emotion. So it was good to see, because it is an ensemble cast, even though it's mainly about her storyline, it is an ensemble cast. It was good to see somebody else step up to the forefront. Yeah. And they gave her a lot of good material. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, they gave her a lot to work with. Well, why don't we uh, go ahead and move on into talking a little bit about Heroes, which we've been watching. And there have been some massive developments in Heroes since we last talked. But uh, <laughs> this past this past week's episode, uh, what do you think? Well, you know, honestly, I, I feel like I like the direction it's heading in. I just feel like it's moving in a snail's pace to get there. Okay. You know, I wasn't too much of a fan of this week's episode. I like the stakes that have been raised, uh, particularly with Claire. Like, I didn't like the dialogue between her and Gretchen and a lot of the spooky, you know, slaughterhouse stuff. But I like that now her powers are exposed to two more people. It makes it interesting. It ups the ante for her. Um, We get more Parkman um, being harassed by Siler, which I don't know what you guys thought about that drunken scene, but it seemed pretty moronic to me (laughs) that you would think that you could... uh, pretty much keep him down by by drinking him to death in a way (laughs) (laughs) because what are you going to be in a constant state of drunkenness (laughs) but obviously siler had a master plan of uh you know the twist that they showed um with him being in the driver's seat in actuality and just kind of fooling parkman but i'm getting kind of tired of it i have to say 
Um, they've been playing with that, you know, you know, how many, three or four episodes now they've been exactly. playing with the whole, you know, I'm in control, no, you're in control, and, you know, Siler kind of sneering at him. I guess it, there is kind of a twist there now that, that Siler, in a sense, is driving. Uh, I guess you could argue that that's a, that's a little bit of a, a switch, but not a major enough one to make me say, ooh, that's interesting. Right, right. Uh, but it, it, you know, it's it's certainly it, we were seeing we're seeing a bunch of different Silers this season. We're seeing the Siler, of course, that is now in the carnival that can't remember a darn thing. With his terrible outfits. I know. I know which you were commenting <laughs> on all his. <laughs> I know. The hat and the striped shirt. Oh my god. Right, right, right. Did he, did he have flannel on this week? No flannel, but yeah. he had very bright, <laughs> vibrant stripes and <laughs> a little uh, straw hat. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, we we are seeing a different side of Siler. They are. At yeah. the carnival, and then the one that's uh, in Parkman. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the third storyline that was going on between the kid Jeremy and oh, uh, yeah. Noah Bennett and Tracy when they went to Georgia to help him out. That was very unfulfilling for me. I think so, too. And yeah. it kind of came out of nowhere with the renegade kind of cops and the angry mob thing. Right. It was kind of a blow-off. And why, at the end, was Tracy mad at Mr. Bennett and said, don't ever talk to me again? I don't, I didn't, I don't know. Yeah, I Something's felt, missing for me there. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe it'll be in the outtakes on the DVD or something. I don't know. Maybe. But, you know, it's, it is it is kind of uh, – it did kind of leave me with a lot of questions. That was a little bit unsettling. I mean, I understand what it does do is it brings in um, – uh, the guy's name is still being, the guy that runs the carnival. Help me out here. Oh, um, Samuel. Samuel, thank you. It brings in Samuel. You see his anger at the situation of losing Jeremy. Yeah, I, I guess, mean, we finally get to see him do something with his powers. Well, they guess they kind of alluded it. They kind of alluded it to, uh, to it at that um, he took out that one house where that crater was in that one episode. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know he could do that sort of thing. But but Miles, what what we're kind of chatting here. What any thoughts that you have on this whole heroes thing? I enjoyed it for the most part. I, I like that when Samuel approaches somebody. It was either Siler a couple weeks ago, and then um, now um, oh, I, I, Tracy. Allie Lars Tracy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Somebody else has a power to – it's either an illusion or teleportation. I, I don't know what it is. It's a little mysterious. I thought that was kind of cool how you know, he, he kind of shows her the, the whole carnival thing. I thought it was very humorous at the end when um, Claire gets stuck on those uh, meat hooks and you know, she's at the end. I, I, I don't know if she said it exactly this way, but she said uh, um, uh, a little help here. You know, yeah. She needed a little help to get off that thing. So I, I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know what you guys feel like. I felt like the writing was a little bit clunky, particularly between Claire and Gretchen. Like, Gretchen actually explaining the name of the episode, like, (laughs) what that means, uh, strange attractors. It seems kind of forced, the lesbian, the pseudo-lesbian relationship that's going on there. I I can't quite tell if they're just doing it for ratings or Claire's really just having a, a phase of, you know, like most young girls going through college and figuring themselves out and who she is as a person. But... I don't think we've ever seen any other side of Claire that indicates that she has these lesbian tendencies. It doesn't seem very realistic to me. No. No, well, she, no. Has, she hasn't had much of a relationship, period. With Any, anyone, yeah. yeah. I guess, what, is Zach in the first season? Was it Zach? Is that his name? I forget. It's been so long. Uh, Peter? No, the uh, the kid that was oh, the first the filmers. Was that yeah. Zach? I want to say it was Zach. I'm going to call him Zach if I'm wrong. We'll call him Zach. <laughs> yeah, we'll call him Zach. We'll, we'll name him Zach. Yeah. Uh, hereby, W. Zach. Uh, you know, the other the other thing that I thought was uh, interesting, someone pointed out, I don't know if it was you on Twitter, but someone pointed out to me that, you know, we have not in last week's, this week's episode, but last week's episode, the whole fight between Ray Parks and um, and Siler 
and mm-hmm. how and, and how it's this whole Spock Darth Maul. Yeah, thing. that was me. <laughs> it wasn't the whole Spock Darth Maul fight in in Heroes. So yeah. <laughs> kind of a macho showdown yeah i know which <laughs> uh, is kind of cool it's always cool to see him use his powers when he's kind of not expecting it yeah but you know yeah. we're gonna see a third siler this season because we're flashing back is it was it season one the hero went back in the in the one that's gonna be airing this coming week they showed the trailer for it the one that takes place in the coffee shop where he falls in love with that girl hero does charlie yeah, charlie, yeah with the charlie was that charlie. was that was that uh season one I that was want, season one. I that, want to say it was. Yeah, it yeah. was season one. So we're, we're going back to season one, and we see the Siler from season one. Yeah. So that I like that idea. Oh, me too. We need. <laughs> there's been a lot of people calling for this show to go back to season one. Definitely. <laughs> so, go back to its roots when it was really good. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to see some of that Siler coming out in this episode, so we'll see a third Siler. So I think if anyone is probably the most exciting role here, it's Siler. Absolutely. I mean, it's been a long time since we've really seen him open someone's brain, so I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see if Hero can actually stop it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just really hope it picks up the pace a little bit, because I understand that they're doing an overlying story arc, which is cool, but I just wish the bits in the middle were as interesting. Yeah, well, anything more we need to say about Heroes? Uh, have we seen the, the last of uh, Nathan Petrilli? It's interesting. Last week's episode, uh, he was credited of being in it when he was in it. When you just saw his face barely for a second, when right. Sila was trying to think about who he was, you just wonder what's going to happen with, with with the Nathan Petrelli thing. Yeah, I don't know. And then same thing with Mohinder. He keeps getting hinted at, but yeah. uh, we haven't seen him back. Yeah, and and Rebel Rebel's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a, and uh, but we saw the Haitian that one week. Was it two weeks ago? We saw the Haitian for like a little blip in time. Mm-hmm. So these characters probably are still floating around. I just uh, I will see. It is interesting though that they're they're mainly focusing on like two or three different people with powers, you know, as opposed to some of the other seasons where they tried to cram everything in um, that it just got a little chaotic. It's mm-hmm. nice that they're really. I mean, I know I just said that it's it's slow, but it's nice that they're taking their time to actually develop the characters better rather than just being you know freak of the week kind of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's uh and you know, that's the other thing. Uh I do like the fact that they aren't focusing in on all the characters they've been focusing on in the past. I've liked that yeah. they've kind of narrowed down the cast a little bit and uh and um and are focusing on that. And if they do bring these other characters in, I'm worried that it could get muddy again. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. Know. Let's uh let's move on. We've kind of uh right. we we beat the heroes to death. Yeah. So <laughs> all right, uh let's talk about Friday night uh being a death zone for television. Uh, this has been a topic that Miles and I have at times kind of talked about, especially when shows have gotten moved to Friday nights. We talk about often the uh Friday night being a death zone or, or where TV shows go to die. And I guess maybe nothing is more evident of this than Smallville being shoved to uh Friday night where it is the fifth lowest network show. Uh, at the eight o'clock time slot, bringing in two point five million, and then Dollhouse ranked fourth for the nine o'clock with uh, two point fifteen million viewers on it. Doesn't bode real well for science fiction, at least on Friday nights. And, and yet, at the same time, when you go to like cable, for example, and you have Sanctuary and Stargate Universe, these are some of the highest rated shows that Sci-Fi or the Siffy Channel has ever put out. Thoughts on this? Go ahead, well, I mean, again, like I said, Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles was moved to Friday nights before it got canceled. So, you know, that's an indication of it being a death spot, at least for network TV, where they do rely on ratings so much. It's a little bit different for cable because it's not a ratings competition to stay on the air. Right. And, you know, it's, it's a different ballgame than it was 
five, ten years ago because we do have so many more people watching it on Hulu, watching it on their DVR, um, in different mediums. It's not just, you know, people tuning in live anymore. So it changes things, I think. Miles? I, I, now they're starting to look at the DVR picture, and I wonder if – you know, you and I were lamenting when Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles went off the air. If they had taken that into consideration, would the show have gotten renewed? Yeah. You know, I, and I, I don't know. I, I, and that's the other thing. You know, does it even matter anymore that these shows are airing on Friday nights? Or do we, you know, uh, with the, right. the advent of DVRs and Hulu, does it, are people say, well, it's on Friday night, I'll catch it on Hulu. Oh, I'll check it out on my DVR and not worry about it. Yeah. I mean, if you really wanted to seek something out, there are so many ways to do it. So I think it does come down to is the marketing behind the show. You know, yeah. when was the last time you saw an ad for Dollhouse? I've never seen billboards in my town, and I live in one of the biggest cities in the U.S., Chicago. Mm. So, I mean, if the network is not behind it to promote it, like, say, Flash Forward, where ABC everywhere, you know, buses, billboards, you saw mm. stuff for that show, and they repeat the episode afterwards. They're not doing that for Dollhouse and Fox. So people don't even know about it enough to record it on yeah. the DVR. And that, that's true. I mean, Flash Forward was everywhere. I mean, they mm -hmm. really pushed that They had show. a Times Square uh, thing going on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting. ABC seems to be really behind some of their sci-fi shows. V is getting pumped. Oh, yeah. V is getting tons of promotion. Uh, and, mm -hmm. in fact, they're doing that whole stint over New York City, I guess they're talking about. I forget what they're doing. It's some sort of cloud thing or flyby or balloon or something they're putting over mm -hmm. New York City that, that is going to kind of promote it. So they, they are putting buku bucks to kind of promote that. Yeah. It, but then we have Legend of the Seeker, which aired at 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Wow. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, and they brought that. They're bringing that back for a second season. Wow. Who are they marketing it to, soccer moms? I, I don't Well. <laughs> I mean, uh, who's home on a Saturday at that yeah. time? Well, we, I was actually going to talk about this in our DVD news, but let's talk about it now. We had a guy uh, write in from Tuning In from Sci-Fi, and what he said about it, he goes, I heard you mention Legend of the Seeker. This is Kevin from Tuning In Sci-Fi TV. I heard you mention a Legend of the Seeker on your, last show, on your show last week. I thought I'd share some details about it. I watched the first season, was very happy with it. Initially, my expectations were pretty low, just expecting a little sword play and some fantasy elements, but the show quickly developed into one of my favorites from last season. The shows are well done, and the characters and stories are ones you can easily get attached to. The reason why it's on such an odd time is that it's one of the few syndicated shows on air nowadays, so, so local stations buy it and choose to air it whenever they want. I'm in Boston area and during the fall when college football games ran late on Saturday afternoon, my local channel... Uh, airs Legend of the Seeker at 11.30 p.m. Once we get into January and the college football season's over, they move it to 7 p.m. on Saturdays. Not a big deal for me since I DVR everything anyway. So it gets bounced around. Right, bounced around, which is, you know, insane when you think of, uh, if you think of, if they were to do that to Bones or Smallville or Heroes, that would totally wreak havoc on the radio. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not a big fantasy fan myself, so I've me, never me seen Legend of the Seeker. Um, I've heard of it. But, you know, if, if fans are looking for it, like that guy said, you know, you can just DVR it and it'll record it whenever it airs. And I guess but, you know, shows like that, too, have a new life on DVD. I heard it did really well on DVD. Yeah, in fact, we had another guy write in and said that he watched the first three episodes and loved them. You know, mm -hmm. Obviously, they, had to, they, said, they said this show had a budget behind it, so. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, a lot whatever. of locations, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Miles, you said at your old job that, that, that guys were just talking about Legend of Seeker all the time. Yeah, there were a lot of people at work uh, that um, – it was more popular, I think, among the ladies, uh, but, but they were into that show, yeah. 
Well, let's move into our Harlan Ellison news. Go ahead, Miles, and uh, share us just a little bit about the opening of this. Go ahead. Okay. Harlan Ellison claims victory in a weird Star Trek case. Harlan Ellison settles his suit with CBS uh, Paramount. The lawsuit between Harlan Ellison and CBS Paramount, in which the lit- lit- I'm going to butcher this, so <laughs> litigious and uh, irascible writer accused the company of cheating him over a Star Trek episode, is over. Ellison filed in March 2009 against CBS Paramount, alleging failure to pay for merchandising, publishing, and other exploitations of The City on the Edge of Forever, an episode he wrote for the original Star Trek series, which first aired in April 1967. Ellison conveyed the news on HarlanEllison.com, specifically the uh, uh, Uncle Harlan's Art Deco Dining Pavilion message board, but did not disclose any any specifics, Variety reported. I am pleased with the outcome, Ellison said. Ellison, who filed the suit in March in federal court in Los Angeles, also sued sued the Writers Guild of America for its alleged failure to act on his behalf but sought only $1 in damages plus attorney fees and court costs from the Guild. CBS, Paramount, and the WGA had no comment. Yeah. Ellison accused CBS Paramount of failure to notifying him about the Crucible trilogy of books based on a teleplay and merchandising that included a talking Christmas ornament. Oh, so we heard about this. I remember us talking about this back in March, Miles, didn't we? When it first came up, and, uh, and Harlan Ellison seems to sue everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Does, doesn't, doesn't he, Mary? Oh, yeah. You want to talk about a guy with a chip on his shoulder. But, you know, brilliant nevertheless. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's the guy. He is an incredible I mean, writer. Go ahead. really about money, or is this just about him finally getting his last say? Uh, yeah, I you know I don't know. I, it's hard to believe that a prolific writer like him, actually, I would say a successful writer mm-hmm. like him, and, you know, writing both screenplays and short stories, you know, is is hurting in finances. Right. So I, I have a feeling that it's just a, an insane possessiveness of his work and making sure that he gets what if he if he's worked for it, he wants it. He wants he wants what's due to him. Oh, definitely. But and, you know, I, I can understand that. I can understand it as an as an artist, as, a, as someone that's you know done a little bit of music here and there. That I want to get paid for my music, you know. And so oh, yeah. I, you know, and you want you want to get paid for acting, and you know, Miles wants to get, wants to get paid for what he does. I mean, there's just I understand that from his from his point of view, but sometimes it does seem a little bit nitpicky coming from. <laughs> but and, and what a waste of time. I mean, only six, I mean a dollar in 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 damages. I mean. Uh, it's almost grandstanding in a way. Yeah. Well, that's only yeah. that's only the uh, dollar for the guild. I, I, right. I, th- I think he didn't want to piss off the writers' guild, is my opinion. Probably. <laughs> I mean, he's a part of that. He doesn't want to put him at odds for it. But exactly. So I imagine that he they don't say what he settled for, but he did settle apparently with CBS, and I'm sure they he got some substantial sum for it. Yeah, I mean, I think like you, you hit the nail on the head uh, when you said it's really the principle behind it—the idea that writers should be paid for what they do. And uh, he talks a lot about it in Dreams of Sharp Teeth. You know that you wouldn't ask a doctor to show up and perform surgery uh, without paying him. So it's the same thing. Writers shouldn't be taken for granted. They shouldn't give away their talents. And I think it's just to make a statement, personally. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move in. Let's leave Allison live. Mm-hmm. But, but if, Miles, if you get a chance to see uh, Dreams of Sharp Teeth or read it from Netflix, do so. He is an incredible okay. writer and has a, had a huge influence on the, the science fiction community. Definitely. But just brief news. If you are into Firefly, uh, Captain Tightpants made an appearance again on ABC Video. If you watch Castle at all, Nathan Fillion dressed up for his Halloween... In, 
for Halloween in his role in Castle. I totally said that backwards, but he dressed up in Castle as his uh, as Captain Mal from Firefly. So you kind of see him pay some homage to that. So, and if you want to, I will embed the Hulu video right in our show notes, so you can go watch it there if you want to see it. Oh yeah, this is so awesome. And 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 uh, wasn't there a line like, "Didn't you wear that five years ago?" Yeah. <laughs> the little girl says to him. Yeah, and they That's also they, they also talk about uh, Buffy, I believe. Uh, he makes a reference to. Uh, oh, I don't know. I used to have it right here. Oh, added that he actually references a certain teen vampire slaying series in which Fillion had a prominent role. I didn't remember him being in Buffy. Was he in Buffy? I wasn't a big Buffy fan, so I missed a bunch of episodes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, anyways, they made mention to that. So It's very cool. I'm sure it made a lot of fanboys proud. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it makes me want to go back and actually watch one episode of Castle just for that. But, I know. Now I'm like, what is this Castle show all about? <laughs> yeah. Have you watched any of Castle? I have not, no. no. I know the premise for it. It's interesting to me as an English teacher, but yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just two other pieces of news, and we can try and move through these quickly because they're kind of running short in time here. Sure. This is, oh, let's move into our second course of news, which, of course, is sci-fi movies. Paranormal Activity, of course, made big waves when it did so well at the box office. It made a solid $22 million in theaters this weekend, but I, I have read figures that it went that it earned up words toward a hundred million i don't know where i saw it recently but uh so i'm not sure i don't have that right in front of me so it might be just making the 22 million but either way this movie was made for fifteen thousand dollars talk about it we were talking mary the last time about surrogates and how terrible it did this Mm -hmm. movie made their producers buku bucks if you if you look at that oh yeah i mean i'm just happy that it beats saw (laughs) you know another horror movie out for the halloween season you know which is a big studio i mean not that paranormal activity didn't get picked up by a studio it certainly did but um you know it was very low budget and started as an indie endeavor so yeah so it's kind of cool to see that it's very um, cool, yeah, and how it got bumped up to more screens, too, than, than when it first came out. I know that they were doing a grassroots marketing campaign. You know, if you don't have paranormal activity, you know, talk to your theater owners, get it, here's how to get it, you know, write in, and it definitely paid off because now, you know, I think it's all over the place, yeah. not just the major cities. Yeah, Miles, your thoughts? I, I, it's good to see a low-budget film you know, make it. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I probably won't go see this. Um, I'm not really into the psychological horror thing, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for their success though. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. And here's where I found that, that bit of news. It said that allegedly made for $15,000 so far it's earned 65 million. It has a legitimate shot of reaching hundred million. Okay. So that's yeah. what, that's what, that's the way they worded it. And so it is, it's good. It, you know, it, I read though, uh, at the time of filming, that the actors only got paid 500 bucks to do the film each. <laughs> I hope they got some kind of residual royalties on this because they're <laughs> oh, not the ones making any money. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You would hope that there would be some sort of kickback to them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, just, for, just, for the, uh, just for the sake of integrity and that whole thing. But, uh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, I'm not, I have, I had students that have seen this. I have not seen this movie, but they said, you know, I went, it was, it was kind of scary, but what really freaked me out is when I went home and turned off the lights to go to sleep at night. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they said, they said it's, it's one of these that gets in your head and doesn't leave you. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I've heard mixed feelings about it. A lot of people saying like, oh, it's just hype. It's kind of a Blair Witch Project type yeah. of thing. It's not as scary as people have made it out to be. But then there's the other people who talk about the after effects of going home and every little creak and every sound makes your mind wander and you freak out yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you become your own worst enemy in that sort of film. But. Yeah. But it's definitely genius marketing for this time of year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, last piece of news, we're just going to briefly go over. They, 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 had a, they released a Klingon propaganda video. We're going to put the information for that in our show notes and the actual video embedded in that. Uh, and I don't believe we'll have time to actually play it here on the show. But something worth checking out. And the question is, the question that everyone's asking, is there more? Are they going to put more to this video, this group that actually put out this video, which is entirely done in Klingon? Uh, and they had Klingon language experts interpret the language and also the... Uh, the website address was done in Klingon, and that we'll have all that in our show notes as well. So, What's it promoting? Uh, it's promoting the – it's a propaganda video for the peaceful invasion of Earth. All right. <laughs> for, the, for, the, for, for the Klingons. So they awesome. have this, this Klingon boys choir singing, and it's beautiful. But is it is it it's a fan thing? It's nothing official. It's nothing official, and it's, it's cartoon. It's all animated. It's almost like the Samurai Jack animation. Okay. So it's kind of stylistically that way. So. Neat. Yeah. But you'll see things you recognize, though, when you watch this as a Star Trek fan. No, oh, definitely. Absolutely. I'm going to watch it right away. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely good. All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break for a promo, and then we'll get into our interview with Richard Hatch. In a world where we wait for a new Farscape series... One small crew sends out a beacon of hope to scapers everywhere. Hi, this is Ben Brown. Hi, I'm Claudia Black. Hi, I'm David Franklin. Hi, this is Rayleigh Hill. Hi, this is Paul Goddard. Hi, I'm Gigi Edgeley, and you're listening to Escapecast. Hi, everyone. Attention. Last time in our hero's journey. La, la, la. Well, you are, she says, as she's knocking John out with her rifle. I'm Wendy Hembrock with the news. Yeah, baby, it's time once again. Hi. L-M-N-O-P. You know, I'm tired of these mother frelly things on my mother frelly leviathan. Holy cannoli. Buffy the Vampire Slayer will be dead. Oh no. You can find the Scapecast at scapecast.org. Every time I think that there's more to you than a pair of pushed up loomers and a corset. Luma. If only we had some way to keep up our stamina. Naughty mist. Does mommy know your hair? Oh no, mommy doesn't know. Here's your rematch, Crichton. What a lovely fantasy of family reconciliation. Where's your neck? Shut up. Escape Cast, your guide to the wonders of Far Escape. All right, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. You just heard from our friends at the Escape Cast. Can you talk about everything Farscape? In fact, they have a contest going right now that you can win the entire seasons of Stargate, which is just really uh, Stargate. Listen to me, Farscape, which is just really cool. Right now, we have an excellent interview that we are bringing you. A guy that we interviewed about oh, what about a month ago, Miles? Is that right? Probably a little longer. But that's oh, yeah, something like that. And it was an awesome interview, and boy, can this guy talk. He's none other than Richard Hatch. Tom Zarek, you may know him from the most recent incarnation of Battlestar, and what was it, Captain Apollo from the, the original? original Captain Apollo. Yeah, original yeah. Captain Apollo. And uh, this is some guy that uh, he's just def definitely worth listening to. I can listen to him. I was listening to the interview again today, and it was it's awesome. Miles, he's so down to earth. He is, he is. Yeah. Miles, your thought in our interview? Um, I had a great time. I, it, 
if, if, if you can go to a convention where he is at, you, you definitely need to make a point to go there. Uh, he's a very fan-friendly uh, guest at, at, at one of these conventions. And I just have to say this. Uh, we, we saw him in 2007 at the Shore uh, Farpoint Convention, and uh, uh, he, he charmed the socks off my wife a little um, when we were there. So uh, oh, that's okay. a charming fella. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he is. So, uh, But that's okay. He put a smile on her face, and, you know, that's a good thing. So, um, no, he, 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 was, he was a great guy to talk to. And Mary, you interviewed him before, right? I did. Um, gosh, it was in 2007 at Star Trek Las Vegas, and he was just there at one of the tables out on the showroom floor. And we pulled him aside. We had a drink with him and uh, interviewed him at a little bar, and he was just so down to earth. I intended for it to only be 10 minutes, and I think we talked to him for about an hour. Oh, wow. And he just loves going on about Battlestar Galactica, although I hear you guys didn't really talk about it too much. <laughs> uh, we, we did talk about it some, uh, but he does some, get he yeah. does get into some of the other, the greater the greater influence of science fiction. So it ends up being very philosophical and a little heady at some times, and I, I like it. It's kind of a different uh, change. So. Yeah, but he's definitely a down-to-earth guy, very approachable at conventions. So I, I do recommend if you see him, stop by his table and shake his hand and talk to him for a little bit. Yeah. All right, with, with, without any further ado, let's go ahead and give you Richard Hatch. All right, well, then I guess we'll, we'll get started here. Um, sci-fi fans, we are talking with Richard Hatch, well-known for his work on uh, Battlestar Galactica in the role of Tom Zarek, and classic Battlestar Galactica in the role of Captain Apollo, which he was nominated for a, a Golden Globe Award. Uh, Richard, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner. Well, thank you very much. What's what's cooking? What's, well, what's yeah. up? Right. Do you have a menu? Can yeah. I uh, can I order a, a cappuccino or a chai latte? Uh, you could, you could. Uh, what would you order in Battlestar? It's a bigger question. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, you know something? They never really explored that other than mushies. They never got into the food, did they? No, no. A lot, a lot of drinking, though. A lot of yeah, a lot of drinking. Well, what are you going to do when you're in space and there's not enough women? You know? yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? You know, and, and your your dying society. I mean, what else do you have to live for? Or pass well, the time. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, there's nothing like sharing a good ale or two with your buds, and uh, you know that's what Battlestar was all about. It was all about family, all about camaraderie, all about you know pulling together to survive. So I think. That's kind of what people really loved about the show. And I'll tell you, I love shows where it's about, you know, whether it's a group of people or a couple of people bonding together, man, to get through, you know, trials and tribulations. There's something about that uh, process that really uh, ignites my imagination. So Battlestar really captured that a lot in different ways with the original show and then the new show as well, but uh, obviously in a different way. What I want to ask you uh, now that now that Battlestar Galactica is no longer being filmed, which I'm sad to say because my wife and I were huge fans of the show. Uh, your schedule doesn't seem to have slowed down much. Uh, tell us some of the things you've been doing this year. Um, well, I uh, put all my stuff in storage, sold half of everything I have, took off for about four or five months, and basically just traveled all over the world. I mean, I just basically. Went to, you know, Belgium, Germany, France. Um, I was in New Jersey, New York, 
Um, I filmed a movie in Ohio and uh, did a project in Arizona uh, a, for a good friend of mine called The Undertakers, which is a really cool, cool movie that he's putting together. And, and then I just kind of came back. I went to Hawaii as well, and then I headed back to uh, L.A. around January and kind of bounced around uh, staying with various friends because I just really wasn't sure where I wanted to be yet. But I, because I do so much Internet stuff, and all my business partners, the people I work on projects with, I can do it anywhere I am. Mm -hmm. So I've been working on uh, several projects, one to direct, um, a movie called Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying, which I'm writing right now. And then uh, we're putting together a reality show called Who the Frack, <laughs> um, wow. we'll, which we'll deal with. You can go over to whothefrack.com and you can see a little bit of uh, what that's all about, although it's going to be, uh, we're, we're putting together a much more, I would say, uh, intensive and detailed trailer um, over the next uh, three or four weeks about that show. But we're doing, and then I'm, you know, I'm. there's a lot of other things I'm doing. I'm, I'm working on a sci-fi network, online sci-fi network. I work with Soul Geek, which is a geek dating site for uh, finding the love of your life. Oh. And uh, with my good friend Dino, so you can go to soulgeek.com. They have gatherings the second weekend of every month, and I... Uh, I basically go join them and uh, help MC and help uh, orchestrate the evening. And uh, we there's lots of stuff I'm doing. I'm writing my Great War Magellan novel, um, and uh, I'm preparing a bunch of other stuff as well. I mean, it's it's a very busy period for me. What can I say? Yeah, well, it sort of sounds like you haven't been slowing down since Battlestar. That's for sure. Well, I, you know, I never slowed down before Battlestar. <laughs> I mean, I've always been a productive person. Listen, you know, you live your life. Um, doing what you love doing. I mean, at least that's the goal. And uh, I'm an artist. I'm a, you know, I'm an athlete. I'm an artist. I'm a teacher. I'm a speaker. I'm a writer. Uh, when I'm not uh, putting projects together or acting in something, I'm teaching and speaking at colleges and universities and business organizations. I do a lot of uh, a lot of teaching. So I'm going to go to Utah in a couple weeks to teach another acting symposium for a two day two day workshop there and. Just did one last month. Going to do some up in Denver, and uh, like I said, I I do lots of different kinds of things. I even do relationship workshops with my good friend uh, JP up in uh, Denver as well. She uh, she's a psychologist and PhD, and we co-teach a number of uh, workshops together. And, and you make appearances at the, at, at the sci-fi and comic book conventions. About about how many of those do you do a year? Oh boy! Well, the last number of years i've probably done a lot i mean i because i'm first of all at conventions i'm a sci-fi fan to begin with so i like hanging out with other sci-fi fans and because i'm a big fan as well number two i'm a, a teacher and speaker so i do workshops at these conventions usually an acting workshop or a film making workshop or even a role-playing game workshop improv all kinds of things like that and then i uh you know i have theatrical trailers that i film directed put together and i bring them and play them so I do a number of things, plus I uh, get to meet up with all my, my buddies all over the world, and we have the best time imaginable. Mm -hmm. I mean, anything and everything that we can do to have fun is what we do. Now, what was the, you mentioned that you, you're a sci-fi fan. What is it that drew you into sci-fi, either as a child, a kid growing up, or, or then as an adult? Well, I think you know, look at the world, and um, if you look long enough, you begin to realize that... Uh, there's a lot more to life 
than what we see in front of our face. And uh, when you look up in the sky, you can't help but wonder and imagine what's out there. And then you, you kind of get carried away on, on that road, and you begin to ask deeper questions about life, like, uh, who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Uh, are we the only people in the universe? I mean, I, I'm into quantum physics. I'm into the space program. Um, you know, I'm political. I'm involved in a number of different things because I am curious. I am, I am engaged in what's going on in the world, and I'm always thinking outside the box, looking for more powerful, innovative ways to do anything. Um, I've always been an idea person. So, you know, whether it's writing a story, uh, working with somebody on a new technology, you know, uh, creating proje projects that I think will not only entertain but illuminate and stretch people's imaginations and make people think and help them step outside the box and realize what's possible. I've always been involved in all those kinds of things. And because my imagination is so active, I mean, sci-fi fantasy takes you into some very powerful um, thematic areas, uh, dramatic areas where you can explore archetypal story structures that uh, I think touch everybody on a very deep and profound level. These are, these are the archetypal type of story structures and, and, and basically personality traits, character traits that unite all of us. I mean, we have so much more in common than we don't. Trouble is we usually concentrate on, on what separates us as opposed to what brings us together. So I always love movies that, you know, find ways to challenge those walls and blocks that keep people separate and isolated and find ways to bring them together. And usually some form of tragedy or dramatic something, Holocaust or, you know, cataclysmic event usually forces people out of their boxes and forces them to reach out and, and you know, meet their neighbors. So I, again, sci-fi always deals with very powerful story structures and asks very deep, profound questions and also, it unleashes the imagination to uh, to go in, you know, unlimited areas. Uh, it, you can just do anything and everything in sci-fi fantasy. And again, the greatest stories are written by some of the most intelligent, visionary people on the planet. Mm -hmm. People that, in, in a sense, you could almost say are prophetic in their ability to look into the future and see where we may be going. So, uh, you know, those are the, kind of the kinds of things that I love, and intelligent, visionary sci-fi is my favorite. I mean, uh, I, I love all kinds of movies. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that loves Braveheart as much as I like a romantic comedy with Renee Zelliger or, or something, you know. I uh, I love musicals. I did musicals on Broadway, uh, off-Broadway. Um, I write songs. I, I played for many, many years, you know. So I even studied ballet for three years. Uh, I wanted to be Baryshnikov, you know, oh, wow. and uh, you know I wanted to to or or Nureyev. I wanted to do, you know, I just I, I I wanted to go to the Olympics. I was a pole vaulter and a high jumper. I flew on the trapeze, walked high wire, uh, worked in circus type stuff. So you know, and I'm a very competitive person. But I would have to say that uh, of all these things, the number one probably greatest ability I have is that I am the world's number one greatest thumb wrestler of all time <laughs> oh there there you go <laughs> and nobody has ever beaten me oh, sounds like we have a challenge and i us. lay a challenge i <laughs> lay a challenge to anyone anywhere of course every time i go places i say who wants to challenge me and uh, i did that in germany 
you know, I've done that everywhere. I had a guy that was six foot six. I thought he was going to kick my ass. <laughs> but the one time I was a little scared, his thumb was twice as big as mine. His thumbnail was as big as my thumb. And I beat him in 16 seconds, but he, man, he lacerated my thumb with that nail. Oh, gosh. I had did. blood squirting out everywhere, you know. My, my friend Michael couldn't believe it. It was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, anyway, uh, so that, that's that's the uh, the name of that tune. <laughs> okay. So I guess we could ask you, uh, what haven't you tried not to do? I mean, to try to do it. So I mean, you've, you know, you sound well, like, what's left? What's what's what's? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot lot that's left, but I mean, uh, well, I, mean, I, I really am into. I want to make movies, and uh, I mean, first of all, I probably above all of it, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. I love igniting people, uh, opening their eyes to their, their possibilities. I, I do boot camps to unlock people's potential, to help them realize what, what they're capable of doing, to help leverage their abilities in the marketplace in a more powerful way. I, I am a teacher first and foremost, but I, I do it not only through lecturing and speaking and workshops. I do it through movies, through the roles I play, through the things I, books I write. You know, everything has got to be entertaining and has got to stimulate the imagination. But, you know, good, good movies, good stories are about something. They, they have, uh, you know, insight uh, into the human condition. And uh, so I, I love a great movie that shakes me up, makes me laugh, makes me cry, but leaves me with hope at the end of the, at the, end of the day. So I'm, uh, I want to direct and develop more projects that... Uh, for me, are those kinds of movies. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have enough of them. Yeah, Most, a lot of movies leave you like wanting to cut your throat at the end of the movie, you know? <laughs> if you feel like life is hopeless. You just, right. the human condition, sometimes we get so buried in, in you know, the, uh, the, the, um, the trauma uh, and the difficulties and challenges of life that we don't show any light at the end of the tunnel. And I just think we need a lot more hope today. But not, I'm not talking about goody two-shoes movies. You know, I'm talking about really, really good movies about real people. And that's, that's basically what my Who the Frack is all about. It's, about, it's, a, it's a darker, edgier, more provocative uh, look at the entertainment industry. It's a, it's a more, I think, deeper, richer um, entourage because it's about me and my buddies uh, really surviving and, and, and succeeding in this business and uh, dealing with the underbelly of Hollywood, the Hollywood most people have never seen, uh, what it takes to make it and, and uh, succeed. And also uh, one of the biggest challenges of our time is relationships, finding a relationship, which it seems to be a challenge for me and my buddies, including my son who's in the show. Hmm. We all seem to uh, very articulate guys, you know, very, you know, very really fun guys, and, and uh, no trouble finding women, but actually creating a successful relationship has been a major challenge. Hmm. So uh, I think you're going to see a lot of guys kind of sharing their story about all that, which is something you don't normally see on TV. You see women talking about things like that, but you never see men really talking about what's going on in their life and what's, what's challenging them and the problem with relationships and the challenges with women these days. I mean, most of the women I date are European because it's hard to find a girl that isn't doesn't have um, either is competitive with men or is you know bashing men or or has unreal expectations you know uh, of men and and it seems to be a strange time in 
in America right now. Uh, finding uh, finding that girl next door, finding a a woman that you can really build a relationship with has not been the easiest journey. So anyway, it's going to go into all those areas. Good. Look forward to it. Uh, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but maybe maybe there, you can expand on it more. Um, why do you think after all these years, classic Battlestar Galactica still resonates with people? Well, because, very, very much because of the archetypal story structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about the family of man surviving against the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always see, you know, movies, cataclysm, movies dealing with cataclysmic events, you know, whether it's Armageddon or any one of those kinds of movies, you know, the, the day after, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Independence Day. Uh, th- these movies resonate because, in a way, they challenge all of us to deal with our, our, our imperfections, our, f- our frailties, our flaws, but to find the, the true uh, hero within, that, that person who rises to the occasion, and does the extraordinary it's it's ordinary so-called ordinary people doing extraordinary things and that's what happens when you have those kinds of events and i think also it kind of also touched upon the question of is there life out there and having a show that actually talks about the fact that maybe there's family of man somewhere out there surviving you know uh... that we're related to and that kind of titillate titillates i think everybody's imagination because no matter no matter who you are you can't help but think: Is there is there humanity? Is there somebody human-looking out there in the universe beyond me? Mm-hmm. That's a question that we all entertain, and Battlestar kind of explored that on a hypothetical level. And then, of course, you know, we put it into a catastrophic event of uh, civilization coming crashing down because of the Cylons, and then having to survive against all of that. Well, we've we've all been thinking, I mean, since the beginning of time, the prophecies in the Bible, uh, the Mayan calendar, God, how many things have you read about the earth ending, you know, civilization coming to an end? Um, You know, we're all kind of um, a little bit tapped into that. There's always the fear of, you know, how much longer are we going to go on? Are we going to survive? Is humanity going to make it? And uh, Battlestar dealt with all of that. It dealt with that those kinds of scenarios, so it combined the the humanity being somewhere else, you know, being connected to us, and it combined that with dealing with a catastrophic event and finding a way to survive that and rebuild a new homeland. So it kind of connected on many, many different uh, uh, points, I think, with, with many, many people. Battlestar was not just attractive to sci-fi people, it was attractive to people of all ages, all demographics, all backgrounds all cultures, uh, just like Star Wars, people who never liked sci-fi before found themselves loving Battlestar, and that went for both the new show as well as the old show. So again, it's archetypal story structures, story structures that deal with um, areas in our psyche that we all can relate to and connect to. Welcome back after this interview with Richard Hatch, which we hope you enjoyed. It was an awesome interview. We had a lot of fun doing it. Oh, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. We already probably went way over than we intended, but that's okay every once in a while. Um, we had fun. Yeah, we had fun, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Go ahead, Miles. Okay. Um, 
please go to iTunes and give us uh, your five-star reviews. That'll help us uh, just get a little more um, visibility. Just, we just appreciate it if you do that for us. And not to mention, of course, you can, uh, you know, we have a, that trivia question this week, right? That not really a question that if you leave a review this week, you could be in the drawing. Well, you will be in the drawing for a Battlestar Galactica, the plan DVD or Blu-ray DVD. Uh, you just got to send us a copy of that review. And so it's, it's even better. As always, what we say in the show and probably much more details than we even gave it in the show, you can find all our show notes at the sci-fi diner podcast.com where we we're going to be embedding tons of videos that we kind of talked about here briefly, as well as uh, many, much, uh, a lot more to the news than we actually had time to go over in this show this time. And uh, you can always leave your thoughts on what we're discussing. We had a huge conversation with Dayton Ward about tech in Trek last week or the other week before. So please come join the conversation. Just leave your comments at the bottom of the notes and we would be happy to respond and interact with what you have to say regarding that <clears throat> and while you're at itunes you can also look up uh, my show dvd geeks um we're on there we do a weekly uh, dvd review show of all the latest new releases on dvd and blu-ray yeah absolutely look up dvd geeks or find us at dvdgeeks.tv in fact if you want to know what uh, what dvd geeks really thinks about the plan you gotta tune into the latest show they're talking yeah. about it yeah, so if you want to find out more you want to hear more about Mary, or you want to hear more Mary? Good yep. DVD games. It's all there. We of course have our own uh, science fiction store, Amazon store, mysci-fi-store.com, where you can buy the plan and buy Legend of the Seeker and many other DVDs there for a discounted price. It's very cool. Miles, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I am Son of Wharf at Twitter. I also have a Trekspace account. Um, I'm Son of Wharf at uh, uh, Trekspace. And Mary? Oh, yeah, I'm on Trekspace as well. Trekspace.org uh, slash Televixen. There you go. And you are also on Twitter as? Uh, Televixen as well. Yeah, so see. So it's pretty, 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 pretty easy to find you there. And MySpace is Televixen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, if, you didn't, if you didn't pay attention earlier in the show, we do have, of course, our uh, fan page. We just put up on Facebook. Facebook, listen to me. I'm, I'm here too long. But uh, Facebook. <laughs> And uh, we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. You can email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. And our phone number is 1-888-508-4343. And I believe that's it. We're going to call it a night. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Until then, good night and good luck. Good luck.